Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Good evening, everyone. We'll begin the readout tonight with a Depression-era political cartoon that proves that anti-vax hysteria is nothing new. Check it out. The misinformation cliff, nearly a century old, depicted anti-vaxxers walking foolishly into the dark waters of smallpox. Their reasoning ranging from prejudice to carelessness to giving into fads. Sound familiar? Now, other than the fringe group this cartoon satirized, no one wanted smallpox. This stuff was deadly. It struck fear into the hearts of millions. It also killed millions of people every year until a vaccine came along and eradicated it. So anti-vaxxers have been around as long as vaccines themselves. But can you imagine if back then there was a major political party backing them up? Fast forward to 2021, and that is exactly where we are now. House Minority Weasel Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader and Colt 45 groupie. Here he is tweeting an all caps rant. No vaccine mandates, period. Meanwhile, in the MAGA death oasis known as Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis is also eagerly courting the anti-vax voting bloc, threatening to fine cities and counties that require their workers to be vaccinated while passing the mic to anti-vaxxers spewing pure lies at his press conferences. No one should tell you what to put in your body. I choose what goes on my body. The vaccine changes your RNA. So for me, that's a problem. Nope, nope, nope. That, that's a lie. That's not true. And wait a minute. What was that part about how no one should tell you how to make choices about your body, what to put in your body? And has the Texas governor received that memo? Just checking. The thing is, look, I get it. Republicans and Democrats don't agree on much these days. But you'd think we could agree on this one thing. Staying alive keeping our children alive, our parents. A large CDC report says unvaccinated people are 11 times more likely than vaccinated people to die from COVID-19. 11 times. But instead, the Republicans are committed to siding with the virus. And they have quickly gone from allowing vaccine skepticism to making it the official party line, full stop. Talk about unprecedented times. This is the first time An entire major political party has organized itself around opposition to a life-saving vaccine. Just imagine if this had occurred during smallpox. Would we even be here? Joining me now is Charlie Sykes, editor-at-large at at The Bulwark, and an MSNBC columnist, and Dr. Joseph Allen, director of the Healthy Buildings Program and associate professor at Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Thank you both for being here. Charlie, I got to go to you first. You have the person who was the de facto head of the Republican Party, Kevin McCarthy, goofy and, you know, undignified, though he may be. He is basically the leader of the party right now, tweeting no vaccine mandates. Does he include measles, mumps, rubella, smallpox, polio? How did the Republican Party, where the Federalist in 2015 was saying unvaccinated people should be able to be discriminated against in public places— go to being literally a party built on anti-vaxxism. 
Well, in one way, by having deeply unserious people like Kevin McCarthy in leadership roles, you know, you, you raise a good question because we have all kinds of of vaccines. We in in Florida, you're required to have a whole host of vaccines to go, and so know. you know what you have is is a political party that is being that is being reckless. But also, there's a certain dishonesty to it because Ron DeSantis down in Florida, and and that episode today was very revealing. Would claim would insist to you that he in fact has been pro vaccine, and yet he stands next to someone who uh, peddles misin misinformation, disinformation, and then he had a choice. Ron DeSantis could have stepped to the microphone and said, what you just heard is wrong. Um, I, I am against the vaccine mandates as a matter of public policy or principle or, or whatever. But it is not true that the vaccine changes your RNA. And yet he chose not to say that. That was a yeah. deeply irresponsible movement. But also the way that they are now aggressively attacking local governments and in Florida, private businesses that have chosen to have the vaccine mandates. I mean, this is, you know, in, in the context of 1,600 Americans dying every single day, I think historians are going to look back on this completely puzzled. Historians of politics, of science, and of public health. What, in fact, what was going on with Republicans back in 2021? And the people, you know, Dr. Allen, that are doing this are mostly vaccinated people, people who themselves are protected from COVID because they are vaccinated and they're pushing anti-vaxxerism as a as politics. I mean, we have in Washington state filling the ICUs filling up with people from Idaho because their governor refuses to do any kind of mandates and is essentially pushing his own people. People are pushing their own children essentially to go unmasked and unvaccinated because a lot of them are too young to get vaccinated. But even the ones who are old enough. I think you, as a clinic, as, as, as an epidemiologist, somebody who is in this business, have you ever seen anything like this? I imagine if this had been done about Ebola, insisting that Ebola be allowed in, insisting that people let Ebola patients on cruise ships. That is what I don't. I'm curious to get your take on what we're seeing. Yeah, uh, it's totally baffling. It's deeply irresponsible, and it's just shocking because. Um, why are we acting? Why are they acting like this is some affront to our liberties? As you point out, this is normal. This is routine. We get vaccines for all sorts of things. We're in the midst of the biggest public health crisis of the past hundred years. Hundreds of thousands of people have died. Livelihoods have evaporated. And we can't get one party in the United States to recognize there is a way out of this, a simple way out of this. And that's through these safe and highly effective vaccines. Also, what's really shocking to me in hearing this from Republicans is that this is pro-business. Businesses want these mandates because yes. it gives them cover that the federal government says it. Businesses want to encourage vaccinations and require vaccinations before you go to a sporting event or a theater. So it really is baffling from a public health standpoint. It's baffling from an economic and business standpoint. It's baffling from an international competitiveness standpoint. And I, I just don't understand it. And as a public health professor, it's deeply unsettling because these are lives they are risking. People are dying because of this misinformation. And it's their people. I mean, you Republicans are the most unvaccinated group, Charlie. They're 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 directing yeah. this sort of pro-death policy. It is very Jim Jones. It is saying, take this Kool-Aid and drink it and die and then turn around, I guess, live long enough to vote for me. Let me let you listen to Ronnie Jackson, who went from I cannot believe this man was ever allowed to touch Barack Obama. I'm sorry. President Obama. He was the White House physician. Thank God that nothing ever went wrong with him treating our president. 
Here he is talking about the fact that the older he's vaccinated, so he's protected, but he wants to be on the team. So he said, well, this is the only reason I got vaccinated. Here he is. I got vaccinated, and the only reason I got vaccinated, Brian, was because I knew that I'm on a foreign affairs committee on right. armed services, and I knew that Nancy Pelosi was not going to let me travel on CODELs, on congressional mm, delegations, but- if I didn't get it. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have got it because I'm otherwise pretty healthy. Okay, but, he, but that is what most people yes. who are unvaccinated are going to have to do. Your job says you have to get it if you want to come work here. You're right. going to have to get it. So he's explaining what his, his constituents are going to have to do, but he feels like he has to make an excuse for doing right. something for his own health. Charlie, your thoughts. <laughs> but, but that also demonstrates that these mandates work. That's exactly yes. the way they're going to work. The people will choose to get that will we'll decide to get it. And then we'll use this as the excuse. And, you know, you, the, the, to the point about, um, you know, being pro-business, look, if we want our lives back, if we want the economy back. You know, this is the way to do it. We have this incredible miracle that we have been granted by public health scientists. We have the vaccines. It can get our kids back to school. It can get us their families back together again. It can get us traveling again. The notion that somehow the Republican Party has decided to demagogue this is truly extraordinary, and especially because they claim that it's all about freedom. But, you know, the reality is that freedom has always been balanced with responsibility. You know, the United States Supreme Court back in 1905 balanced out what, you know, what what was the meaning of liberty? The personal liberty didn't mean anything if we use that liberty to destroy the public good and to just do, do damage to the community. This is something that we all understood as a responsibility of being an American citizen. And again, the contrast between the Republican Party and what it asked Americans to do in the days after 9-11 and the irresponsibility of the way they are dealing with a pandemic that is killing as many people as died on 9-11 every two days is truly amazing. Yeah. And I mean, they, they, and their, their, their go to is to try to blame black people and say, well, it's the blacks. You know, if you just get the black, the, it's you guys. It's Republicans. It's not African-Americans are polling just like Democrats. Vast majority willing to get vaccinated. Nicki Minaj as a weird exception in some of our rappers. I don't know what's happening with the rap community. Uh, Dr. Allen, I, I am fascinated to have you here. So New York City is is creating an indoor mandate where you cannot you cannot go in. My, my, my kids have experienced this. They're in New York. Indoor dining, restaurants, cafes, clubs, indoor fitness, gyms, pools, studios, indoor entertainment, movie theaters, etc. You've got to be vaccinated in order to go in. Where you talked about in your New York Times article that we need to think about what are our what are our goals? Like, what is it that we're actually trying to do at this point is what is our most rational goal at this point, knowing that we're going to have a certain percentage of Americans who are going to refuse to get vaccinated and do the right thing, refuse to wear masks, refuse to protect themselves or others or even protect their own kids. Is our goal at this point to just try to make a safe space for those of us who are vaccinated and say we're just going to create these safe spaces? Is that like a reasonable goal? It is. It is definitely a reasonable goal. And I think it reflects the reality that we have 100 million, 160 million plus who are vaccinated and are tired of being locked down, waiting for the unvaccinated to get vaccinated. We really hit the limits here. And this is why I support the vaccine mandate. I wrote about this in The Washington Post last month. We've hit the limit of the voluntary approach. We've tried the handholding. We've tried the cajoling. We've tried the beer and the lotteries. It's not working. We've reached the limit. And to pull this last group across the line, we have to put in these mandates. That means absolutely like the example given, we have to make it a requirement. 
We should yeah. be doing this for travel. We should be doing this as we go into sporting events. And because what that does is it increases the burden on the unvaccinated. It frees up the vaccinated. And importantly, from a public health standpoint, it increases the total numbers of people who are getting vaccinated. And that's really the way we're all going to be protected. The best way to protect our kids is to have adults vaccinated. So I support these moves, and I think it's really what's going to move the needle. In fact, we see this for some organizations that have mandated, like the airlines, already there's a bump up. There were threats people were going to quit. That's not happening. What they're doing is they're getting vaccinated, which shows the mandates are working. You are not going to quit your job. If they say you have to get this shot to go to work, unless you want to be broke and poor and you want to sit home with no money and do your research on TikTok and read and watch TikToks all day of other unvaccinated people, you're going to get that shot. And I think the reality is it's going to happen, Charlie, because people are going to have to face the choice between being broke and being vaccinated. And and in the end, I'm done handholding people, too. I've reached my limit. Okay, I've reached my limit. I'm not begging anyone else. We don't. We're out of time. So I'm sorry. I was about to ask you a question, but I can't. And people like Nicki Minaj, I have to say this. You have a platform, sister, that is 22 million followers. Okay, I have two million followers. You have 22 million followers on Twitter for you to use your platform to encourage our community to not protect themselves and save their lives. My God, sister, you could do better than that. You got that platform. It's it's a blessing. It's a blessing that you got that, that people listen to you and they listen to you more than they listen to me. For you to use your platform to put people in the position of dying from a disease they don't have to die from. Oh, my God. As a fan, as a hip hop fan, as somebody who is your fan. I'm so sad that you did that. So sad that you did that, sister. Oh, my God. Anyway, Charlie Sykes, Dr. Joseph Allen, thank you very much. Lord, still ahead on the readout. Tomorrow's hugely important recall election in California will give us a reading on the state of American democracy. Will Republicans continue to insist that any election they didn't win was automatically rigged? Plus, new revelations about Melania Trump's priorities on January 6th. Sending out a plea for peace? Apparently, nope, not her style. And in tonight's absolute worst, a symposium on how not to mark the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. The readout continues after this. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. 
Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. In just a few short hours, President Biden will hold his first rally with California Governor Gavin Newsom. It comes on the eve of the recall election that threatens to unseat the Democratic governor, possibly handing the state over to his leading opponent, conservative talk radio host Larry Elder, the anti-mask, anti-vax mandate, anti-minimum wage, anti-woman Trump superfan. In an ode to 2020, we are already hearing the usual advanced noises from the right about voter fraud. I'm worried about fraud. You know, when they found that meth addict with 300 ballots um, in his uh, the trunk of his car, are you hearing any other um, stories like that? And how worried are you that that might be part of this election? I am worried about fraud. Mm hmm. This should probably come as no surprise as Trump LaRange's 2020 playbook is now being rolled out as their modus operandi. The New York Times writes, quote, this swift embrace of false allegations of cheating in the California recall reflects a growing instinct on the right to argue that any lost election or any ongoing race that might result in defeat must be marred by fraud. The relentless falsehood spread by Mr. Trump and his allies about the 2020 election have only fueled such fear. They should just start calling him Donald. He doesn't deserve the Mr. Trump. Joining me now is Cornell Belcher, Democratic poll, uh, pollster and strategist, and Kurt Bardella, advisor for the DCCC. And, you know, I, I got to go to you first, Cornell, because you and I both know that they said the same thing about President Obama's election in 2008 and 2012. Any election in which, you know, white voters went for President Obama's opponents both times, 60 40. And so they're like, well, there's no way that. President Obama won a real election. That was fraud, right? So that is now that it's not like Trump made this a thing, Cornell. This is the way Republicans have been operating for a long time because they cannot win elections where there was any appreciable percentage of non-white voters. And they say, oh, well, that's fraud. The non-white voters did it. Let's suppress their votes. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, this is part of the ongoing, the ongoing backlash that you're saying to the changing face of America. And it, and it calls into question you know, whether or not we're going to survive as a democracy if people who look like, quite frankly, the people on your panel today, uh, you know, are in fact empowered and have a voice in a democracy. Uh, is that legitimate? Uh, I think it is dangerous, though, Joy. It really is, because what you see and what Trump is doing and what you're seeing, what what what, what elders is doing in California is they're sowing the seeds for violence. I mean, this is just mm -hmm. textbook one-on-one -on -one dictator authoritarian stuff is how you sow the seeds of violence. You keep telling these people that that they're being cheated, that something's being That's taken right. from them, that that, 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 that that we are, in fact, people, the others are stealing your country away from you, and you're seeding the seeds for violence. And it's, it's just a matter of time if you keep feeding this fire for violence and, and having people feel disgruntled and something's being taken away from them, it's only a matter of time common sense is going to tell you those people are going to act in a violent manner. And that's my fear of what I see happening across the spectrum with Republicans. Yeah, I mean, look, Kurt, you know, when he wasn't coaching Jeffrey Epstein, apparently, uh, to do TV appearances and interviews— that's what Steve Bannon was doing, making Breitbart the home of the alt-right, meaning an alt-right just being a euphemism for white nationalism and white supremacy, is that basically what they're saying to white Americans is, look, you don't know anybody that voted for Biden or Obama. So therefore, because you who live in a predominantly white or even all white neighborhood, you never met somebody who voted for those people. So clearly nobody voted for those people. All those votes are made up. You shouldn't trust these elections because you're not getting your way. And only when we win is it legit. Here is uh, our, our wonderful Jacob Soboroff, our great reporter at NBC, MSNBC, trying to get Larry Elder to 
say whether he would accept the results of the election, win or lose. Take a listen. No matter the results of the election tomorrow, will you accept the results as legitimate? You know, I just wish, Jacob, one time, just one time, somebody would say to my opponent, Gavin Newsom, do you accept the results of the 2016 election? Whether or not you win or lose, will you accept the results of the election tomorrow? I think we all ought to be looking at election integrity. Is that a commitment to accept the let's, results let's, of the election all, tomorrow? Let's, let's all do that together. Let's all work together. Is that a commitment to accept the results of the election tomorrow? Let's all work together to find out uh, whether or not the election uh, tomorrow is a fair election. So that is not a commitment to accept the results of the election tomorrow. Boy, Jacob, um, honestly, I answered your question. No, you didn't. Uh, and you've got Donald Trump already putting out an election, putting out a statement claiming that it's an election scam, that it's already fraud, because they know that this dude is going to lose, right? You've got Larry Elder's campaign promoting a website that claims the recall is already over, Newsom won, and they already found supposedly voter fraud. I mean, it's only a matter of time before they get the cyber ninjas in there. That's the new way that the Republican Party operates, Kurt. Your thoughts? You know, it's ironic because for all of the claims about voter fraud and hysterias and outright lies that we see from the Republican Party, time and again, the actually only evidence of voter fraud that we ever come up with actually comes from the Republicans and never from the Democratic side. But that's the excuse that they come. We're talking about the largest state in the union with the largest concentration of Democrats in a state where Republicans, for the better part of the last 15 years, have been actually the third party in voter registration in California behind Democrats and independents in the client state. And somehow their answer for why they're going to lose yet another election in California that's statewide is, well, it must be voter fraud. Can't possibly be anything else. I mean, Joy, what's going on right now with this recall, it, it, it is such an illustration of how far the Republican Party has gone. Almost two decades ago, in 2003, I was there. I was working in California politics in 2003 when Arnold Schwarzenegger ran. And that was the last time we saw a Republican win the governor's office. And you know what Arnold ran on? He ran on being an immigrant. He ran on being someone that could unite Democrats and Republicans. In today's Republican Party, Arnold Schwarzenegger would not be able to get past the primary right. process. He would lose the proxy battle of moderates and conservatives, which he won in 2003. And it's really ironic because at that time, Joy, the person who was right beside him, cheering him on, fighting for the moderate wing of the Republican Party, it was Kevin McCarthy. He was the assembly Republican mm. leader at the time. He was the one who was sucking up to Arnold, would go to every photo up possible, kissing up to him. And here we are 18 years later, and it's Kevin McCarthy's Republican Party that is undermining democracy, that is using the recall as yet another chapter in their ongoing saga to try to deconstruct our election process. And it's absolutely disgraceful and incredibly hypocritical. It is, because it's an attempt, Cornell, to seize power knowing that it's going to be minority rule, knowing you do not have the support of the majority of the electorate because you can't appeal to them because your policies are so outright white nationalists that people of color, even people, look, the Asian American community used to be a, a swing vote. It ain't no more because they've shown themselves to be so white nationalist leaning that people are like, no, thank you, no matter what, you know, even if all of these non-white groups are calling not us aligned. the China virus didn't catch on? Hello? So, Cornell, you know, the polls, I'm afraid almost to show them. The polls show that it's going the other direction. It's going to go toward keeping Gavin Newsom in. Is Should we be looking at the California election as some sort of bellwether for Democrats going into 2022? Or is this a sui generis situation? You know, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a really good question, but it's it's a tough question because there's multiple variables. If you go back to to early August and look at the the, the polling data around this, it was fairly evenly split between um, recall or or, or 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 keep. 
at no point uh, did, did did recall have did recall have a majority. What you had was a large swath of the voters who were undecided or, quite frankly, not paying not paying attention, and that was the hope of Republicans. That's how they squeeze by, and yeah. and get in because because, quite frankly, that the large breadth of, of of voters in California are sort of apathetic or not paying attention. That's how they that's how they win. That's how they win, quite frankly, midterm elections. I think it was I think what you've seen with Larry Elders and the craziness on on the right and the anti-immigration stuff on the right and and and, and their leading candidate talking about slaves, perhaps slave owners perhaps need reparations. I think what they've done is they've they've actually energized the, the progressive base. And I think if yeah. you look at what Vice President Harris did the other day when she went out there, she began to connect the dots to what's happening in California, to what's happening yeah. more broader with the Republican Party or Trump's party, their attack on workers' rights, their attack on reproductive rights, their attack on women's issues, and their attack on immigration. I think she beautifully connected the dots for, for that sleeping giant of multiracial uh, you know, California voters to what's happening in California to the bigger picture and that they have to wake up. And I think she did a great job of that. I think they've helped. Uh, Only the guy who embraced Trayvon Martin's killer. Nobody wants you to be their governor. Dude, nobody is interested in you being anybody's governor. I don't know where you got that or what they had you smoking, where you thought that people want you to be their governor. If you were to win, it would be with 12% of the vote. Nobody wants you to be their governor, Larry. Go back on the radio. Cornell Belcher, Kurt Bardella, thank you both very much. Okay, we've got some exciting news to announce tonight. The new readout blog goes live tomorrow. This will be a digital extension of our show, led by our wonderful writer, Jahan Jones. Beginning tomorrow, check out msnbc.com backslash readout blog daily for Jahan's commentary and reporting on voting rights, extremism, the COVID-19 fallout and recovery and more. Expect it all. You'll also find exclusive web content that dives into discussions that we have on this show. So be sure to check it out every single day. It's going to be great. Up next, it takes a special kind of forgiveness or maybe just willful ignorance to say that you love the hearts of people who really, really, really wanted to lynch you on January 6th. We'll be right back. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Despite being a target of the MAGA mob on January 6th, former Vice President Mike Pence was caught on camera praising a would-be insurrectionist for embracing the big lie. In a new video, undercover journalist Lauren Windsor approached Pence and identified herself as someone who had taken part in the insurrection. After some discussion about why he didn't decertify the election, Pence falsely claimed that there were irregularities in the vote. Then he said something that's either the ultimate in Christian charity or just bat poop bananas. We were there on January 6th, and we were just wondering why you didn't stop the election from being stolen. Uh, 
read the Constitution? The only authority Congress has is to open and count. Read the Constitution. Did you, did you think the election was stolen or not? Because, I mean, we, I we were, were there fighting of, for President Trump. I think there were a lot of irregularities that are now being fixed at state levels. Okay. But states, you never want Washington, D.C. to run elections. Agreed, sir. Very nice to meet you. Okay. I love your heart. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love your heart. Pence believed that Windsor was an insurrectionist. And he still praised her for her devotion to the big lie, even though the big lie had him running for his very life, literally. Hey, Mike, remember when these folks were chanting, hang Mike Pence? Remember the gallows they erected on the National Mall? No? The big lie inspired them to try to kill you, man. Were their hearts in the right place, too? It's another sign that a dangerous fallacy is now central to the GOP's identity. In fact, according to a new CNN poll, nearly six in 10 Republicans say that believing the big lie that Trump actually won the 2020 election is important to being a Republican. Joining me now is Congressman Eric Swalwell of California. He was an impeachment manager earlier this year. And Congressman, so basically, to be a Republican, you have to be opposed to saving your own life from COVID. You have, to be, you have to want to get COVID and open yourself up to it. And you have to believe the big lie. That's it. What do you make of Mike Pence, the guy they wanted to hang and who they would have, God knows what they would have done to him if they'd gotten their hands on him. The fact that he is like, I love your heart to somebody who he thinks was a part of that mob. Well, I don't love any would-be insurrectionist heart, Joy. And I wish our former vice president uh, wouldn't either. And it shows the environment we're in right now uh, where when someone like Mike Pence doesn't believe the cameras are on, he is quite defensive of what he had to do. However, uh, he also recognized that he's talking to an insurrectionist. And if he wants to be president, it's the insurrectionist party now, and he's going to need their support. But you really can't have it both ways. Uh, and Donald Trump ha- has really proved that by throwing overboard really anyone who has tried you know, to have a foot you know, in the moral clarity lane and then a foot in the you know, pro-coup lane. And so uh, this is the problem, Joy. And, and, and taking a step back, I have come to realize uh, that I was quite naive when I first went to Washington. And it was like when I was a boy and my dad had to have that conversation with me that pro wrestling was not real, uh, that they weren't really hitting each other with the steel chairs, uh, but they were all in on it. Uh, and that's what you see right now with so many figures in the Republican Party. When the cameras are not on, they know that it's batty and it's crazy, but they do it because they think it's what the fans around the ring want. They don't have constituents. They have fans. The problem, though, that we saw on January 6th is if the fans think that you are advocating for that truly and that you believe in it, they're going to do the same thing. And when you say you're going to the Capitol, they're going to follow right along with you. And uh, if you can't disabuse the quote unquote fans of it, uh, they're going to keep going along and it's going to get more and more violent. Yeah, I used to watch pro wrestling, too. I had to have that. My auntie Dolly had to tell me the same thing. Um, uh, You know, there is a story in The Guardian right now. Uh, So so among those who are now uh, targets of these requests for records, uh, Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff in the White House, your thoughts? Uh, Well, uh, good, because during the Russia investigation and during the impeachment investigation, uh, Mark Meadows uh, took as many shovels out of the shed that he could find, uh, you know, to try and bury evidence uh, to help 
uh, Donald Trump. Uh, he never once spoke up. Again, he was another one uh, where privately, you know, he'd want to talk to you. He'd want to joke with you. He'd come and, you know, put his hand on my back and backslap with me when the cameras weren't looking. Uh, but when he had to, you know, really sing for his supper for Donald Trump, uh, he would sing, you know, at the top of his lungs. And yeah. uh, he's one that knew better, but again, played to the fans. And, and, and me, to me, in Washington, that's worse than somebody who actually believes in it. Uh, it's yeah. somebody who just wants power and fame, and they're willing to do anything they think uh, that the fans want. You just described Kevin McCarthy to a T. I have to ask you this question because you're friends with so many of these Capitol Police officers and have talked so passionately about the conversations you've had with them, the ones who were heroic on that day. What do you make of the fact that we now have six police officers, six Capitol Police officers who could now face discipline for taking the wrong side? Um, this includes the guy who took the selfie um, with some of these insurrectionists refusing and failure to comply with directives, improper remarks, improper dissemination of information, including directions to get to members of Congress. I cannot even well, imagine all, what you think of it. Let me just flip that and say uh, thank you to the 99 percent of them uh, who did not do that. Amen. Uh, because uh, that's who we you know, should continue to honor. But to those who did, they should face the stiffest. Uh, punishments. And as somebody who comes from, you know, a law enforcement family where my dad's a cop and my two brothers walk the beat uh, every night, uh, it, it really concerns me because, uh, you know, we need to know that there is no inside threat because we already have an inside threat from the pro-coup, pro-insurrectionist members of Congress. And so if you are able to marry that up with, you know, more law enforcement officers, that creates a dangerous environment. But again, that is such a small amount of people. What really worries me, though, is we're not seeing enough support in the law enforcement community for the January 6th officers. And if you talk to these officers, they look at the message boards across the country uh, and they see what you know they're being called and how they're being described. And I wish they were honored just the way we honored the firefighters after September 11, because they truly fought, you know, hand, uh, you know, hand to hand combat for hours to defend our capital and protect life. Amen. Uh, former President George W. Bush has likened these d domestic extremists, uh, or mainly white national extremists, to Al Qaeda. And so if you're with them, you're with the equivalent of Al Qaeda. And that comes from the guy who launched this global war on terrorism. Not from me. That's right. George W. Bush said that. Uh, right. Congressman Eric Swalwell, thank you very much. Appreciate you. Uh, on tonight's, cheers. Tonight's absolute worst is still ahead with important lessons on how not to mark the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. But first, a new tell-all book takes us inside the White House on January 6th, specifically inside First Lady Melania Trump's office. Now I was going to say that you're not going to believe what we're learning, but on second thought, yeah, you'll totally believe it. Stay with us. Melania Trump's I really don't care, do you, Jacket, summed up her tenure as first lady in a nutshell, as someone incredibly concerned with not just her own self-image, but with backing of her husband, Orange Julius Caesar, no matter how dangerous his actions were, that cold cavalier attitude is incredibly clear in a new book by her former chief of staff, Stephanie Grisham. According to Politico, Grisham writes that on January 6th, soon after insurrectionists had broken through barricades outside of the Capitol, Melania Trump received a text message from Grisham. Do you want to tweet that peaceful protests are the right of every American, but there is no place for lawlessness and violence? Grisham asked the first lady. A minute later, Melania replied with a one word answer. No. At that moment, she was at the White House preparing for a photo shoot of a rug she had selected. One reason Melania may not have wanted to condemn the insurrectionists 
I don't know, the rug was just way more important, or she actually just agreed with them. Grisham writes that Melania seemed to share Donald Trump's view that the election was rigged. Melania told Grisham that something bad happened and that the election results weren't legitimate. In a statement to Politico, Melania Trump's office said, quote, the intent behind this book is obvious. It's an attempt to redeem herself after a poor performance as press secretary, failed personal relationships and unprofessional behavior in the White House. That was a below the belt reference to Grisham's relationship with former Trump aide Max Miller, who's been accused of assaulting her, though he denied it. All the best people. I'm joined now by Stephanie Winston Walcott, author of Melania and Me and a former senior advisor to Melania Trump. This feels like a case, um, Stephanie, thank you for being here of sort of villain versus villain. I don't remember this this uh, this woman um, who's written this book, Stephanie Grisham, being exactly heroic in her role as press secretary. But she sure is telling tales on Melania, isn't she? Yes, she is, Joy. But, you know, I have to reserve judgment until I've actually read the book, even though I don't think there will be any new novel revelations that I think anyone needs to concern themselves with. We already know Melania doesn't care. We already know Melania is going to do what Donald says and does. And um, I just want to say, you know, I was personally on the front lines with Stephanie Grisham and um, she doesn't hold truth or fact, um, you know, in high regard. So I don't believe that anything in the book is relevant to truth. And we'll see what it says. And, and I, I think that's fair, uh, given the fact I don't think, think she ever even held a press conference when she was supposedly press secretary. Her, her time was, was very unmemorable. Um, but she is backed up, uh, you know, at least by some of the things that we know. So Kyle Cheney tweeted the following about the timeline of what was happening on January 6th. He tweeted this. Melania Trump was informed of the violence at the Capitol at least an hour before Trump tweeted his 2.24 p.m. attack on Vice President Pence. For, it further undercuts the paper-thin claim that Trump wasn't aware that Trump faced da- uh, Pence faced danger. So it appears that both Trumps knew there was danger going on at the Capitol. So is it is it is it believable to you that Melania just didn't give a damn? Joy, coming so personally from someone who was inside the White House, had a personal friendship with Melania Trump, who was there to help children um, and was there also calling out what was happening. And I wouldn't go along with the narrative. So Stephanie Grisham actually was the one who she was Melania's henchman to throw me under the bus to the press that I was fired when I actually wasn't. So the Trumps know everything that's going on. They're fully aware mm-hmm. of, you know, the situation at hand. They um, remove themselves, you know, they distance themselves a little bit just so somebody else can do their dirty work. Mm. Yeah. You wrote, uh, it now makes sense to me why Melania kept her chief of staff, Stephanie Grisham, around, because she spent her time in office combatively speaking to the press and spreading falsehoods about others. Does Melania Trump care about anything? I mean, obviously she cared about that rug, but is there anything that you detected that she actually cares about? Joy, you know, I learned a lot um, being on the inside with her. Um, She was someone that I was friendly with, extremely friendly with on the outside when we spent time together, not talking about politics or anything having to do with, you know, Washington. She does care about herself and Mm. um, her son Mm. and her parents. And that's a matter of fact. Beyond that, I really don't think so. Wow. Uh, I have to ask you about the Met Gala is, that's going on tonight, because I know you were heavily involved in organizing that beautiful event with these phenomenal dresses. We're going to show some of them now. I think we have Amanda Gorman, Naomi Osaka. I hope that we have Iman, who looks stunning. Um, but I have this theory that part of the rage you see on the right is their disinclusion from the culture, from the fabulous culture, from the, you know, the popular culture, because their views are so out of line 
with where we are as a multiracial, multicultural country. They don't like it. They hate it. And therefore, they're disincluded in it. Do you, do you think that 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 does that read as, as accurate to you, that that's part of the anger you see on the right is that they're not getting invited to this. Uh, Javanka, J- Jared, Ivanka, they ain't getting invited to the Met Gala. Look, I have a hunch since, you know, Stephanie Grisham was Ivanka's girl. I think this is Ivanka's next, you know, her step to her next steps, trying to get into the White House and clear her name a little bit. I really do believe that Ivanka is not getting invited to the Met Gala. And it's something that I produced for 11 years. It was something I was so passionate, something I loved, something I gave up um, and I miss. And I have to tell you, it's all about culture. It's all about, you know, sports, music, entertainment, bringing together the most fabulous, fashionable people that actually have something to say to one another beyond politics, where it is not about, you know, the other person. It's about our country. It's about humanitarianism. It's about charitable giving. And that's what, you know, the Met is really signifies. Yeah. Can I show the the Equal Rights Amendment? Dress uh, team. There we go. Uh, that's Carolyn Maloney repping the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, it, it, it does some good, right? Can you just, for those who are not familiar with it, what's the purpose of this gala? This gala is to raise money for the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It's charitable giving. It's for the cost, the Anna Winter Costume Institute, and it's the only funding that the Costume Institute receives. So, you know, I, having personally been a part of that felt that I was giving back in such a big way to New York City. And this is about American designers. This is about our industry. This is about a multi-billion dollar industry that hasn't seen anything happening for so long, Joy. So I'm joyed, actually, to see the red carpet filled tonight. Yeah. And do you think, do you see any, I mean, this is the kind of thing that I think the right would have wanted to see a Melania Trump at. Like they think of her, despite all of the various inconsistencies in her story as being this phenomenal first lady. I don't know why she never did anything for anyone. Uh, but this is the kind of thing that she ain't getting into that either. Right. I mean, that no, ain't ha- that, there's no reason ever there. No. And again, m- the way that Anna Winter, um, you know, orchestrates the Costume Institute benefit evening is about bringing the right people together for the right conversations to do the right thing. And it's not just about um, showing up and putting a beautiful smile on your face and looking, you know, beautifully dressed. That is all that Melania brings to the table. And it's unfortunate because, you know, the world needed a first lady. The -hmm. world needed for her to step up, say something, do something, and she didn't. And so tonight's representation on the red carpet wouldn't signify anything that Melania stands for. So she wouldn't be invited and, mm-hmm. you know, no expectations for her there. Yeah. And as the daughter of an immigrant, it was especially sad that she wasted that opportunity because she could have spoken up for immigrants in this country and she did not. But she did love that rug, apparently. <laughs> Stephanie Winston, welcome. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. OK, uh, thank you. OK, tonight, President Biden is out west today. He just wrapped a speech in Northern California, tying the extreme weather we've seen this summer to the climate crisis and emphasizing the need to address that crisis by spending billions of dollars in the upcoming reconciliation bill. Earlier today, he attended a briefing at the National Interagency Fire Center in Boise, Idaho, on what the administration can do to support firefighters who are working to control this year's record-breaking wildfire season. He then went to California, where he attended a briefing on the wildfires ravaging the state and took an aerial tour of the damage caused by the Caldor Fire, which has burned more than 200,000 acres and is only 67 percent contained. The climate crisis is a global emergency that threatens every single one of us. And we'll have more on President Biden's push to address it tomorrow. 
But up next, the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attack showed us the best and unfortunately the absolute worst of what America is all about. Stay with us. Saturday's remembrances of the 20th anniversary of the September 11 terrorist attacks brought us a display of the best kind of American leadership. As former Presidents Barack Obama and Bill Clinton appeared alongside President Biden at the World Trade Center site, and former President Bush spoke at the memorial in Pennsylvania, where Vice President Harris also delivered remarks. Amid that show of unity, the most recent former president chose the low road, as usual, taping a message criticizing President Biden over Afghanistan and skipping formal ceremonies. Instead, he appeared at a fire precinct and again violated the solemnity of the day, re-racking the usual tunes, claiming the election was rigged and slamming his successor for the second time. That was before his main event, providing boxing commentary at a Florida casino. Ah, dignity. But the disgraced former president wasn't the only right-winger to show their worst on the anniversary. Cue Rudy Giuliani, who's basked in undue praise for doing nothing else besides just basically being mayor on 9-11. Like the shout-out he got from his former client congratulating him for the 20th time on the anniversary. Why are you congratulating him? Rudy milked his America's mayor image for quite a fortune until he hooked up with the orange guy and became a humiliated figure, panhandling for cash on social media and at something he thought was the Four Seasons Hotel, which, which it wasn't. But on Saturday, Rudy found new and exciting ways to degrade himself, attacking the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, and mocking the nearly 100-year-old Queen of Elizabeth. Or Miley? How did, how's that guy a general? I wanted to grab his stars, shove it down his throat and say, it's 400 miles from China. She said, you did, you did a wonderful job on September 11. And therefore, I'm making you an honorary knight, commander of the royal something or other. I wish you would. Mark Milley would crush you. And if that isn't weird enough, there's also Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who, friendly reminder, is under scrutiny from the House January 6th uh, Select Committee. He was also investigated by the Texas State Bar for asking the Supreme Court to invalidate the 2020 election and investigated by the FBI for using his office to benefit a wealthy donor, all while being under indictment for securities fraud for the last six years. That, Ken Paxton, took time off from suing Texas school districts over mask mandates to tweet his thoughts accompanied by a frankly tasteless and uncomfortably weird image, a plane careening toward three men seemingly oblivious while clutching red cups most often seen at keg parties. Paxton deleted his tweet Sunday morning amidst a slew of duly earned criticism. But his short-lived, crass, and inexplicable September 11 message has earned him the dishonor of being tonight's absolute worst. And that's tonight's readout. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.